Well, this evening, I would have you turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to Psalm 54. Psalm 54 this evening. One of the most helpful tools to help a reader first understand and appreciate a psalm is the superscription that introduces a psalm. You have it open before you there, Psalm 54. The superscription says, To the chief musician. Now, over the years, in the life of Israel, there were a number of different chief musicians or choir directors, the New American Standard renders it. First Chronicles names Jeduthun and Heman. We are more familiar with Asaph. And when the Psalms were assigned to the chief musician, whoever that might have been at the time, we know that the intent of the Psalm was for the public use of the Psalm in the assembly of God's people to the chief musician. It says there, the superscription of Psalm 54, it says, with stringed instruments. This is one of only five of the psalms that specify that stringed instruments were to be used to accompany the psalm. Psalm 4, Psalm 6, Psalm 54, 55, and 61 are the the, the total of the psalms to be accompanied by stringed instruments. Of course, we know that David played a stringed instrument. He played the harp. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David. Psalm 54 is a a mass skill or a contemplation of David. That means it was a reflection for the purpose of instruction. And then you see the superscription of Psalm 54 says, When the Ziphites went and said to Saul, Is David not hiding with us? That is most helpful to us this evening as we approach Psalm 54, for it identifies the occasion when David wrote this psalm, when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us or among us? Now we need to unpack this superscription just a bit, that that line, that designation there. King Saul had been David's friend. In fact, King Saul gave his daughter to be David's wife in 1 Samuel 18, meaning that David was King Saul's son-in-law. Ideally, not always, but ideally, a father-in-law and a son-in-law ought to be friends. However, beginning in 1 Samuel 19, King Saul determined to kill David because David's popularity began to eclipse Saul's. You see the, the Ziphites there. Who were the Ziphites? Well, I'm going to claim that they also would have or should have been David's friends. The Ziphites were David's fellow Israelites. In fact, not only were the Ziphites Israelites in general, the Ziphites were from the very same tribe as David. They were from the tribe of Judah. And so here I've titled my message this evening, When My Friends Become My Enemies. However, I I actually think we should change the title to When My Family Becomes My Enemies. Because David's extended family, the Ziphites, David's extended family, King Saul, turned against him and became his enemies. I've written there at the top of your notes. When David's family and friends turned against him, the Ziphites from the tribe of Judah, King Saul, his father-in-law, David turned to God in prayer, in proclamation, and in praise. And here is the application that I'm proposing here, even by way of introduction this evening. Many times there are those who are outwardly counted among the people of God. They are our Christian family and friends. You see, they were raised in Christian homes, and they attended the Christian school, and they're members at that good Bible-preaching Christian church, but they are allied with the prince of the world rather than being committed to the purposes of God. 
And this is when their betrayal is most dangerous and it's most hurtful. So from Psalm 54, a message I've titled, When My Friends or My Family Become My my Enemies. Let's pause for prayer, then we'll look at the psalm. God in heaven, thank you for the ordinance of the Lord's table that reminds us regularly of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the moments we spent this evening reflecting on his, his death, his shed blood for our salvation. And Lord, now as we approach your holy word and we study Psalm 54, a psalm of David in a very difficult circumstance, we pray that you'd give us insight and understanding, illumine the scripture text to us by your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The superscription of Psalm 54 tells us that the Ziphites told King Saul, who was supposed to kill David, where David was hiding. In fact, the Ziphites did this on two different occasions. The first is in 1 Samuel 23. The second occasion is in 1 Samuel 26. Both times David escaped to tell about it. On one of those occasions, David escaped to tell about it here in Psalm 54. But before we study Psalm 54, we need to go back to 1 Samuel. Go with me to 1 Samuel 23. And let's read of the account there. I'd like to take the time to read the narratives. They're extended narratives in 1 Samuel 23 and also in 1 Samuel 26, extended portions. But they will set the table very well so that we'll understand Psalm 54. Look at 1 Samuel 23. I'm going to pick up in verse 20. I'm sorry, in verse 14. How about that? 1 Samuel 23, verse 14. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Verse 19, then the Ziphites came, here we go, the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods, in the hills of Hakalah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all your desire of your soul to come down, and our, our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. Verses 19 and 20 there is the occasion for Psalm 54 in just a moment. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there, for I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you and it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they rose and went to Ziph before Saul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. Folks, 1 Samuel 23, as we've just read, is the backstory of Psalm 54. But, don't turn there just yet, turn the page 
1 Samuel 24, we read of the occasion when David was in hiding in the cave and in Gedi, and King Saul entered the cave. David cut off the corner of Saul's robe without harming him personally, for David did not want to touch the Lord's anointed. Remember that occasion, perhaps the most familiar and famous of these events. Turn the page again now to chapter 26, 1 Samuel 26, a second occasion in which the Ziphites betrayed David and told King Saul of his whereabouts. 1 Samuel 26, let's pick up in verse 26. Again, I'll read quickly, you follow in your Bible. 1 Samuel 26, verse 26. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah opposite Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. This is deja vu all over again. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hekelah, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp, and the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with a spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. There are a, a, a number of possible scenarios in David's mind. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head. Let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away, and no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of the hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and said to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? Or my son-in-law, David? And David said, It is my voice, O Lord, O king. And he said, Why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my Lord the king hear the words of, of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. 
For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. Let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. And thank you for indulging the, the reading of, of those accounts. 1 Samuel 23 and 1 Samuel 26. These are the events that led to the writing of Psalm 54. Now go back to Psalm 54. And with that background and that understanding, we are left only to speculate as to whether David wrote Psalm 54 after the Ziphites' first betrayal in 1 Samuel 23 or after uh, the Ziphites' second betrayal in 1 Samuel 26. I submit, I suggest that it's the former, it's the first, and I'll speak to that in my conclusion here in just a few moments. But in Psalm 54, David sought the Lord for his friends, his family, his extended family, the tribe of Judah, the Ziphites, and King Saul had turned against him. And so now in Psalm 54, David says, Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. Number one in your notes, prayer to God when in danger. We go to the Lord in prayer when we are in danger. David was in grave danger because David was a wanted man. He was the most wanted man, and he wasn't being hunted by a bounty hunter, but by the, the king of Israel himself. So David prayed for God to save him in that occasion of danger. David prayed in, in two ways. First, letter A. He prayed invoking the name of God. He says, save me, O God, by your name. Letter A, the name of God, that's his person. You see, the name of God isn't simply a matter of identity, but it's a, a place of security. Proverbs 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. You, you say, well, how does that work? How does the name or the names of God provide safety and security for one who is in danger? Names, specifically God's names, are not only a matter of identity, but also a matter of attribute. Today we name a person to identify a person. My name is Matt. That, that identifies me. However, God's names describe his character. And we're familiar with the names of God. Elohim is the eternal triune creator. Jehovah, the self-existing one. El Shaddai, almighty God. Adonai, Lord and Master, El Elyon, God Most High, Emmanuel, God with us. You know these and many more. How about the name Jesus? The angel told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people. He will save his people from their sin. You see, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so when David is in danger, he prays to God, invoking the name of God, the person of God for salvation, for God's person is one who saves. It wasn't only the name of God, letter B, it was the strength of God. The strength of God, you see it there, vindicate me, verse number two. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse number one. Vindicate me by your strength, the strength of God. And so if the name of God is his person, the strength of God is his, fill in the blank, his power, his power. 
Well, how strong is the Lord? How powerful is the Lord? Think of Abraham and Sarah. God promised them a son in their old age. It was physically and biologically impossible for Sarah to conceive and bear a child in her old age. However, Genesis 18, 14 asks the rhetorical question, is anything too hard for the Lord? The rhetorical question is answered with a a no. Nothing is impossible with God. Think of, of Job. He suffered so greatly. He lost his family. He lost his fortune. His health was broken. His friends were so critical. And yet after all of the conversation in the book of Job, Job spoke of God's power in Job 40, 42, verse number 2. He said, I know that you, God, can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. And so, folks, God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He can and he will accomplish his purposes, even if they're impossible, which is why we pray in the first place. It's why we go to God in prayer when we have a great and possible need, because God is all-powerful. So David's prayer to God when he was in danger was an appeal to God's person, letter A, and his power, letter B. In In the event that we didn't read 1 Samuel 23 and 26, read of David's danger there, David explains the threat in verse number 3. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Selah. I mean, stop and think about that. Have you ever had to pray for God to protect you from a family member or a friend to preserve you from those who are not following after God. The the NIV reads there in verse number three, people without regard to God. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your immediate family member. Maybe it's an extended family member. Maybe it's a, a friend. People without regard for God. And you must pray, Lord, preserve me and protect me. The Apostle Paul prayed that God would preserve and protect him from unreasonable men. Any unreasonable men in your life? <laughs> I have a few unreasonable people in my... They, maybe they feel the same way about me. I don't know. But uh, they're, they're unreasonable. And that is David's prayer. Verse number four, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life or sustain my soul. There are two ways to read verse number four. We could read it as if David is speaking to his enemies. Behold, God is my helper. Hey, all y'all, you that are trying to, to catch me and kill me, Behold, God is my helper. You need to know that. That's perhaps one way to read this. Alexander McLaren, a Scottish Baptist uh, preacher and author, that's the way he took this. Or we could read verse number four as if David is speaking to himself. That's Derek Kidner, who's a Bible commentator, a British author, and uh, this is his take. He says, David was bringing himself and then his enemies to God's attention. He now brings God before his own attention. So it's as if David is speaking to himself, and he's saying, what are you thinking? Where are you looking? Open your eyes, man. God is my helper. And I think I favor the latter, just as David in Psalm 23 Picture David sitting in a grassy meadow, Psalm 23. He's the shepherd boy looking at all of the sheep around him. 
And he thinks of himself. He thinks, you know, I'm the shepherd here of these sheep. But who is it that's my shepherd? Do I have a shepherd? Ah, the Lord is my shepherd just as I'm the shepherd to these sheep. And so I think here in this case, David has one of these aha, aha moments, and, and he, he says, Behold, the Lord is my shepherd, or in this case, my helper. God is my helper, and the Lord is with those who are with me, sustaining me, upholding my life. And so I would offer you number two, proclamation about God while doubting. There's prayer to God when in danger, Number one, prayer to God when in danger. And number two, proclamation about God when, when doubting. And I submit that in spite of verse number four, there must have been some doubts in David's mind and heart. Because I know that I live with fears and doubts and misgivings and uncertainties all the time. We know that God will supply all our need. But we still worry, Right? We know that God is always with us, but sometimes we wonder, God, where are you? Why are you so far from me? We know that God is in control, but it doesn't seem like he's in control right now because things are out of control. So what do we do in the face of those doubts? We proclaim truth to ourselves. Behold, God is our helper. Behold, the Lord is my shepherd we say. And we we don't think of this simply as a a coping mechanism for the Christian. Don't think of it that way, but think of it as practical theology. You are bringing truth to bear upon your life. You say, Lord, I am in a pickle right now. (laughs) It's really bad. And I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. But Lord, when I look at you, I know that you are bigger than my problems and that you will help me because nothing is impossible for you. In fact, Lord, you're not only with me, you are with those that are also with me. Again, Derek Kidner explains that David is seeing God's hand behind the human help. God, you're going to use those that are with me to aid in my preservation and protection. And, and this is where our faith triumphs over our fears when we are able to leave the matter with God, let him take care of it, and we have moved from fear to faith. Now, David had the chance. We read it uh, in, some, in, in 1 Samuel 26. David had the chance to solve the problem on his own, to take care of King Saul. Both in chapter 24, he cut off a piece of Saul's robe. Then in chapter 26, he took the spear and the jug. David could have solved the problem, but he didn't do that. He left the matter with God. Look at verse number 5. He will repay, that's God will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. So often we, we, we take matters into our own hands because we doubt whether or not God can or will act on our behalf. So then why do we even bother to pray to him in the first place, right? Lord, I, I pray to you. I'm casting my care upon you. I am in danger here. I'm being hunted by my tribe, by my clan, by my extended family, and my own father-in-law in this case. Lord, I'm praying to you, please deliver me but then trying to take matters into our own hand, we ought to let the Lord take care of it. And, and, and by the way, this evening, I'm not preaching to you, actually. I'm 
I'm preaching to myself this evening. Because it's easy to be a preacher. It's really hard to be a Christian. You understand the difference? It's easy for me to pontificate of these things on a, a Sunday, certainly on a Sunday evening, because they're, they're true, I believe them, and I can arrange my message into a nice little package with three points, and I can say it in 29 minutes. But then you know what? I have to go live it, right, as a Christian man. And you have to live it as a Christian as well in light of these things all week, and that's tough to proclaim the proclamation about God while doubting. But we do that nonetheless. We speak truth, even when there is a flutter of fear in our heart or the misgivings about a matter, even when we are inclined to take matters into our own hands. In verse number five, David says, I'm going to leave it with God. He will repay my enemies. I don't need to vindicate myself. And he will cut them off as he purposes to do. Look at verse number six. I will freely sacrifice to you. Well, wait a minute. When are you going to do that? You see, right now, you're hiding in the woods. You're hiding in the caves and the mountains. You're on the run. When are you freely going to return to Jerusalem to sacrifice again? Yeah, not looking good for you, David. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. So there's a prayer to God when in danger, that's number one. There's proclamation about God even while doubting. And then there is number three, there's praise to God when delivered. And and David here is praising God's name. That's what he purposes and desires to do. And, And again, God's name is God's character. And he's praising God for his goodness So when was the deliverance that David experienced? We, of course, know in hindsight from history that David did survive. But how did David survive? Did David escape running faster than Saul? Did David escape because David's men overthrew Saul's men? What's the story? After the Ziphites betrayed David to King Saul in 1 Samuel 23, verse 19, Saul almost captured David. However, before he could capture David, King Saul, well, turn back with me to 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23 again, and I'll explain to you here from the text how God delivered David from the hand of King Saul. 1 Samuel 23, let's pick up in verse 27. But a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come. 1 Samuel 23, verse 27. Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines so that they called the place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds at En Gedi, which I referenced earlier in chapter 24. Folks, God delivered David from Saul by di- distracting Saul with a Philistine invasion. Who could have predicted that? Who could have planned that? That was at an epic macro scale. Why didn't God have have Saul maybe trip and break his leg and need to go back to the palace? Or why didn't God give King or David maybe an extra special hiding place? 
but rather God, remember, the, the omnipotent God, said, I'm going to use those other people, that nation, the Philistines, to invade so that King Saul has to give up on hunting David. And, and God delivered David in that way. So go back to Psalm 54. I will freely sacrifice you. I'll praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. Verse 6. Now, verse 7. For he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. The NIV reads, You have delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. Folks, what was, what was it that, that gave David the confidence that God would deliver him? It's because God had previously delivered David out of his trouble, and God had repeatedly delivered David out of his trouble. Remember the lion and the bear when David was a shepherd boy? Remember the giant Goliath? Whether enemies or friends or friends that became enemies, in either case, in every case, David turned to the Lord for help, a prayer to God when in danger, proclaiming truth about God even while doubting God is good. He will deliver. And then when that deliverance comes, a praise to God for that deliverance. And this pattern you see all through the Psalms, the crisis early on, the appeal to God for help, concluding with praise for what God has done. I would hope that in the course of your life, you might be able to write a psalm like Psalm 54. Lord, I prayed to you in my distress. My enemies were against me. My family was against me. My friend turned against me. I was in danger. And Lord, I was running for my life, and so I turned to the name, the person of God. I, I trusted in the, the strength or the power of God's character, proclaiming that you are good, even while I'm doubting. Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know you're good. And then praising God when he delivers you in a way that you could never have imagined. What a great testimony. I trust that you might be able to, to do the same. Let's pray. God, thank you for the testimony of David in Psalm 54. Lord, those circumstances recorded in 1 Samuel were, were real. And Lord, I, I can't imagine the, the horror and the fear and the threats of, of the betrayal of the Ziphites and the, the hunting of Saul. But Lord, you delivered David, for you had a purpose and a plan for him. Lord, may you show yourself uh, real in our lives, delivering us by your power, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.